as you find your seats, as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, as we begin this new sermon series entitled, Empowered to Tell, as we look through the first nine chapters of Acts together, it's an amazing book, Uh, but let's begin again with prayer, let's pray together. Father God, by your grace and the work of your Son, we will glory in our Redeemer. We will glory in the work that he has done for us. And we will say thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for making us right with the Father. Father, we will glory in our Redeemer for what he empowers us to do even today as he lives and he lives to intercede for us. And Father, we will glory, we will glory in the Redeemer for what he will still do for us. That one day we will see him face to face and that day we will be like him. And oh, how we long for that day. Father, thank you for the joy of knowing. Thank you for the joy of loving. Thank you for the joy of glorying in our Redeemer named Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Come and be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Anytime I'm with my parents, I'm at my parents' home. I just spent some time with them uh, last week. My mom will early on immediately point out where the family albums are. As if I've forgotten, you know? And in the same ones, uh, same kind of albums, they've kind of weathered and gotten yellow over the years. But, but one of the things she wants to do to remind me when I get home is, will you go back and will you remember our story? Would you remember, would you go back and kind of turn the pages? And as I pick up an old album, words like these, she'd say to me, can you believe how small you were? I want to say, we try to say, mom, <laughs> you know? Can you, can you believe, do you remember when, do you remember when that happened? Now, the book of Acts is kind of like that family photo album for us. It's the, it's the church family photo album. So the next several weeks, we're going to be looking through the pages of Acts, the pages of the Bible, and we're going to say things like, do you remember when, you remember when we were that small? You remember when the church was that like powerless, it seemed like? You remember how it used to be? And so we're going to look through Acts. It's going to be like going through a family photo album saying, do you remember when? You see, but the whole point I believe that my mom has, and certainly I have as I look through our photo album, is not just a walk down memory lane. I think the point is, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. I mean, don't forget you're a part of a story, and it's a story that matters. It's a story that's got hope, and it's a story that's got history. It's a story that's got connections. It's a story that's got relationships. Well, that's what the book of Acts is. It's, it's a story. It's a story. It's a true story of us. And it's not just for us to look back and say, oh, yeah, I remember the glory days. Weren't they all great? A lot of times people do that with the book of Acts. A lot of times they look at it back then and say, well, look what the church was really supposed to be. And look at how they used to do it in the glory days. Well, let me tell you. Right now are the glory days with Jesus as well. And it isn't just so to look back on memory lane, but it's really to empower us today. The whole point, God says, all the scripture that was written was written for a point. Ready for this? It's for you. It's for me. It's to say, for those who are living today, he gave us this to say, to empower us, to remind us that there's a story 
And it's God's story. God loves telling his story. And, and God loves telling his story through his word. And you ready for this? God loves telling his story through you and me. He has created, created us as his ambassadors to be, you ready for this, his storytellers. The story continues, church, and we're it. The story continues and we're the tellers. The story continues and we're the ones that he wants to proclaim the reality that he is indescribable, unfathomable, and he wants to do it through us. And I know what you want to say is you really, if you got what I just said, that God wants to describe who he is to the world through us, you would want to say, are you kidding me? But the reality is, this is how they felt in the early church. God is going to tell a room smaller than this of disciples, of apostles, of some key women and men who are followers of Jesus after what appeared like disaster had happened. I'm going to change the world through you. And they had to be saying, are you kidding me? Have you seen Rome? Do you know what we're under? Do you know what we're against? Well, we are that photo album that God continues to take pictures of and delight in to advance his kingdom. So let's read together the story. The story, uh, the photo album, turn to the Bible photo album of Acts, Acts 1. We're going to read 1 through 14. Um, I'll give you a little bit more detail and background on this uh, after we read this text. But remember, as we see these pictures uh, that are for us in these words, and we hear these stories. Is it just for them? This is for us and for uh, everyone who God has gotten here by design. This is God's holy and errant word. I'll read it, read aloud silently with me, please. I'll read aloud, you read aloud silently. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus had began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, they were looking on. He was as he was. They were looking on. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing to heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, 
which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when, he ent- and when they had entered, they set up, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. That's a different Judas, not the one who betrayed him. All these were one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers and sisters. And I want to tell you in verse 15, the company of persons with them were about a hundred and 20, the whole church. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, you said that we would receive power. We would receive power from God to be your storytellers, to be your witnesses, to go to the ends of the earth, to give our lives as that word witness means martyrs, for the cause of Christ. And Father, we now are that story you're telling in Jesus. And oh, how we need to be empowered. Father, as a broken sinner standing before your people, I know how much I need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So come. Come, Lord Jesus in spirit, and speak through me. May my words be your words. Give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your story, hearts that beat for you and love you and love our neighbors. And God, would you empower us with your presence and your truth and your gospel so clearly today that our feet would actually be empowered to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in the name of Jesus. The things that I say that are my opinion or wrong, may those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said, that are true, that tell the good news and show the pictures of Jesus, use those things to make us more like him. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. If you look at your Bible, and if you have it with you, you'll see on the title it says Acts. Uh, for some of your translation, it'll say the Acts of the Epistles. For some of you, it might just say Acts. Uh, and the question we want to begin with is, whose Acts are these? Uh, there's going to be a whole story that's going to be told, that's going to be summed up with the name Acts. It's the uh, New Testament history book. And the first thing we want to know is, well, whose Acts really are they? Well, let me tell you, and again, I'm going to go through the outline if you want to follow with me. The first thing is this, whose Acts are the books of Acts all about? Well, here's the summary of the books of Act, a book of Acts. It's what the risen Christ, what the risen Jesus Christ continues to do through the apostles empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, the book of Acts is interesting. It's really, it's really part two of the gospel of Luke. As I read Acts chapter one, uh, verse one, you probably heard a funny name called Theophilus. This whole book was written to a guy named Theophilus. If you look in your Bibles and you look to Luke chapter 1, Luke's gospel was also written to a guy named Theophilus. He was given a title in in Luke's gospel. He's probably some uh, official in the Roman government. Uh, There's kind of a, a wonder, who is this Theophilus? It's got a great name though, by the way. You ready for this name, Theophilus? You know what it means? Anybody know what it means? It means friend of God. Or God's friend. It could mean lover of God. 
or God's lover. Uh, either way, it's not clear which one as far as it, is it God's friend or is it a friend of God. But that's the point. So what is happening here is, is Luke is actually continuing the story. God inspired Luke to write this amazing gospel, the gospel of Luke. And now God is going to inspire Luke to tell the history. So this isn't really two stories. This is one story. This is one story. And and here's the point. The hero of Luke's gospel is also the hero of the book of Acts. The hero of Luke's gospel is also the hero of the gospel of John, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Matthew, and the entire Bible. Here's the point. The story of the book of Acts is the story of Jesus. It's the story of the Bible. And it's what Jesus as a risen Savior. Now, we saw that he was ascended to heaven. We just read that. And what he continues to do. And this is his works empowered in the Holy, uh, through the Holy Spirit, empowering the apostles to tell his story. It's one story. By the way, for those of you who like these kind of things, Luke is written about 25% of the New Testament. The, Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke and Acts will comprise about a quarter of the entire New Testament. He'll write more even, than even Paul. Um, so, amazing storytellers. Again, Acts 1.1 says this. Luke says his first book was written for Theophilus about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. So the book of Acts is saying basically this. This is what Jesus continues to do through the Holy Spirit. I think we need to stop here and pause and say, well, what are the completed works of Christ? Because didn't Jesus hang on the cross and say it is finished? And what are the continuing works of Christ? This is very important. You've got to hear this. You see, the completed works of Christ that are given to us in the work of the Gospel of Luke is this. When Jesus said, it is finished, he told us some amazingly good news. That the chasm that existed between holy God and sinful men and women has been forever bridged through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. God is no longer angry with us. God has fully made a payment for our sins that we deserve to die by placing them on on Jesus. And now, are we ready for this? What were the completed acts of Jesus that he did? Well, it's this. He clothed us in his righteousness. Because of what he did and on earth, and the gospel of Luke makes very clear that you and I, if we are in Christ Jesus, we no longer are seen in God's eyes wearing the rags of our sinfulness. We wear the actual robes of righteousness. That's what he did. Well, what does the continuing work of Jesus look like? He clothes us with power. It says he clothes us with power from on high. And the amazing thing is, even after Jesus died for the apostles, even after he appeared to them for 40 days, even after he showed them, hey, fellas, look at my hands. You'll see they're pierced. Touch me. Let me have a meal with you. I truly am alive. The story really does continue. And he was going to send them to go change the world. They still were not equipped to be his storytellers. Think about that. These 11 people have spent 40 days with Jesus after his resurrection. And they were being taught by him. And he was about to send them to go change the world. Even after having that much of the story told to them, they were not empowered to be storytellers. They were going to be what they have been. Failures. Fickle. Turncoats. Scaredy cats. And God says, There's been a promise that the Father has given. And I'm going to deliver. 
And my people are going to get the Holy Spirit, a part of the triune God inside of them. And the Holy Spirit's going to change everything. And now we're going to be empowered. We're going to be empowered. Empowered to live our lives in a way that God intended them to be. Empowered to crawl out of the darkness. Empowered to have the courage for you and me even to talk to our neighbors about Jesus. You know that power? It's amazing. Well, that's really what the uh, continuing uh, acts of Jesus are all about. Clothing us with power to be his witnesses, his storytellers. Well, what did he do in those 40 days? Very intriguing. He says this, he taught them, the apostles, about the kingdom. He spends 40 days, because there's a lot of confusion. I mean, you can see confusion in Jesus' ministry before his death. Jesus makes it very clear to his apostles before he died. He says, gentlemen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. And in 30 days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. You read any gospel account, Jesus makes it very, very clear that he came for the cross. He came to die for our sins. And you read the gospel accounts of the conversations that were taken taking place on the way to Jerusalem and the way to that cross, clearly his apostles did not quite get it. They're doing things like arguing who's the greatest. They're doing things like trying to figure out when you enter into your your kingdom, who's going to sit at your left and who's going to sit at your right. And even after he had appeared to them and ate with them, and even after they watched him die and they saw that empty tomb, they still didn't quite understand the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, you saw in verse 6 that they said to him a very interesting question. Hey, Jesus, is it time now? Is it time now for you to restore this kingdom in Israel? Well, if you're not familiar with the Bible, let me tell you what they're asking. They're asking this. Jesus, is it time now for you to put together a geopolitical uh, government in place in Israel? Is it time for you to kick out Rome and that we will be the center of the world and the power of the world and Jerusalem will be the most important city and we're going to rule and reign right here on earth. You see, they, they thought with such blinders on, thinking that Jesus was just all about one little nation. It's kind of like Americans. We, we seem to have blinders oftentimes. It seems to be all about America. But God says, no, no, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is so much bigger. It's a worldwide mission. I'm going to have you start in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea. You're going to go to Samaria. You're going to go to the ends of the earth. But this isn't going to be just the the kingdom of Israel. This is going to be the kingdom of God. You see, there seems to be a lot of confusion because they're trying to think, now, wait a minute. Uh, We're promised Messiah, and the Messiah shows up, and and there's this virgin birth thing that was pretty cool. But but then there was this cross. Now, tell me again again, what was the suffering all about? I love what, what uh, Luke says in the Gospel of Acts, that God opened up their mind to understand Scripture, that they realized that the entire story of the Bible, listen, the entire story of the Bible pointed to the reality that Jesus had to come and to die so that we can have life and life eternally. So Jesus spends 40 days trying to teach them about the kingdom and what it really meant to them. And let me tell you something. I think that they are in the same situation we are. Because what in the world does a kingdom mean to you and me as Americans? We don't have a king. I mean, kingdom seems like fairy tales and something you go see in, in, in the movie theaters. What is kingdom all about? There seems to be a great confusion. Well, we look closely at Jesus' ministry and we realize that when he arrived, his first sermon he preached was about the kingdom. 
And the first thing he said is he said, I must proclaim in all the cities the good news that the kingdom of God has appeared. What does that mean? It means this. Jesus came on earth. You got to get this about Christianity. We cannot soften this. Jesus came to earth and made a declaration that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, Jesus shows up from a little place in a stable in Bethlehem, will live his life in Nazareth, be a carpenter, and he's going to hang out with people who are going to say, now, isn't he Joseph and Mary's son? And what in the world is he claiming? He's claiming to be not only God's son, he's claiming to be greater than Caesar. He's claiming to be the one hope of the entire world. This is Jesus. So when he's teaching them about the kingdom, don't miss the fact that he's teaching them that he and he alone is king, not Caesar. That this, this, this resurrected Savior was the hope of the world, and he would change it. What he was telling him is this, is that you need to live your life whole differently now. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new king in town. And I'm it, Jesus says. You need to live now under my gracious and loving rule. Live under my reign. What did Jesus teach his disciples about in 40 days? Wouldn't you love to have heard some of those conversations? I don't know, but I do know what scripture tells us about the kingdom. So I think that we got to look at that. What did he teach them about the kingdom? Well, when he taught them to pray, according to Matthew 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 10, when he taught his apostles and disciples to pray, he says the kingdom of God needs to be the priority in their prayers. When you pray, pray this, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you teach them about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus? That it has to be the uh, priority in their pursuits. He told them in Matthew six thirty three, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. My brothers and sisters, that was not a command just for them. When he taught them to pray, he taught us to pray. And when he taught us to pray, he says there needs to be a priority about me being king and my reign and rule being on this earth. And that's why you're my witnesses. And all the things you pursue and all the titles and all all the benefits and all the creature comforts, all those things that make life kind of nice, he says those things are so secondary. The pursuit of our lives should be about the kingdom of God, the glory of God, the name of God, the fame of God. The reign of God, the rule of God. That, that's, that's our life's passion that Jesus is teaching the disciples, apostles, and teaching us. It needs to be our priorities in prayer. It needs to be our priority in pursuits. And it even needs to be our priority in investments. In the Gospel of uh, Matthew, in Matthew 13, he starts these kingdom parables. And he describes the kingdom of God. He says this in, in uh, uh, Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. Once you find it, once you find that Jesus is king, and once you find that he is the one who will reign and rule over your life and eventually over this world, here's what you're to do. Sell everything you have to buy it. Make sure you don't miss it. It's got to be the number one priority. What did Jesus do in those 40 days? He told them this. You must live your life in submission to me as your king. You must live your life on mission for me as your king. Do it in Jerusalem, Judea, all of Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Hey, what are we going to do about this mess in Syria? I mean, it's a mess, isn't it? I mean, what do we do? I mean, 
gosh, when you start gassing your own people in a civil war, I'm, I'm really kind of been intrigued with America's response. It seems like we're kind of, uh, kind of overthrowing bombs and missiles. But, but how do we react? What's, what's the hope of Syria? I mean, let's be honest. What's the hope of Afghanistan? Is that place a mess or what? I mean, just, I haven't been there. It looks like it's beautiful, but everything I can hear or read about, they, they've been in war for a long time. What, what's our hope of Israel? Israel's been, man, they've gone through a lot. Well, how about Egypt? Man, whew. What's going on with Egypt these days? There, there's, that's, that's a mess too. And what about Iran and Iraq? And, and what is the hope of any of those places? And the hope is, ready for this? Jesus. And the hope is the kingdom of God coming to Syria. The hope is the kingdom of God coming to Afghanistan. The hope is the kingdom of God coming to the Middle East, coming to America. The hope of our lives, the hope of our world is Jesus and his kingdom. And you know what? We don't believe it. I guarantee you, some of you thinking, oh, yeah, it's really simple, Jeff. You're a preacher. What do you know? You stand up and say the hope of Syria is Jesus and his kingdom. Really? I mean, really, that's your answer? I mean, it isn't with the diplomats. It isn't in Washington. It isn't with bombs. Is the hope really Jesus? Really? You think that we can make a difference with the gospel? Really? That's how they 11 felt. Jesus is going to say, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the world. I'm going to change the world through you. And they look out their window at the Romans and say, really? You're going to change this crazy, messed up world through the good news of Jesus Christ, a resurrected Savior, and that we are to pray that thy kingdom comes here? Really? That's how they felt. The same way you feel when I say the hope of Syria is Jesus. Let me tell you, church, if we believe this, we'd be praying it. If we believe this, we would be on our knees saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Syria needs Jesus. Egypt needs Jesus. Afghanistan needs Jesus. America needs Jesus. Our schools need Jesus. Our homes need Jesus. Our neighborhoods need Jesus. He is our hope. And he says, I'm going to teach you about the kingdom. I'm going to teach you about the kingdom and all of its power and all of its authority. I want you to be my witnesses. He empowered them to be his witnesses. <laughs> you got to laugh. At, you got to laugh at God's story. I mean, you got to laugh at turning the pages of this picture book and seeing 120 people scared to death in an upper room being told, you bunch of scaredy cats are about to change the world. Don't you think they want to say, well, oh, Jesus, you, you do remember that we all ran away when you were crucified, right? And Peter probably want to say, hey, you do remember, Jesus, that a little girl asked me if I knew you and I swore to God I didn't even know you. Now, you want me to do what? You want me, you want me to say who? You, you, you want to use me to change the world? And he said, yeah, but here's the great news. I'm going to empower you to do them. Jesus didn't just teach them about the kingdom of God. Jesus empowered them to advance the kingdom of God and called them to be his witnesses. And again, I, I, I love hearing the apostle saying, you want us to do what? And Jesus says, I'll empower you for the task. You gotta hear these two things, church. You gotta hear these two truths. They're amazing. The first one is this. All that God requires from us 
Jesus accomplishes for us. That's what's called the good news of the gospel. Let me say it again. All that a holy, mighty God requires of us, his image bearers, called to live in holy obedience to him, Jesus accomplishes for us. What amazing good news. We have a relationship with him purely by his grace, all through the work of his son, all done by him. What an amazing God. But there's more than that. All that Jesus asks from us to be his witnesses, the Holy Spirit empowers in us. Did you hear that? I mean, this is amazing. God says, I want a relationship with you and I'm going to make it happen through Christ. And I'm going to use you to tell the world good news. And I'm going to use you to change the world. And I'm going to empower you to do it. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Because let's be honest, we're scared to catch too. How How easy is it for you to tell your neighbor about Jesus? How easy is it for you to talk about Jesus at your workplace? How is it for you students to live for Jesus at your school, including this one here at Orangewood? I mean, he's saying, I want you to tell my story. I want you to be my witness. And I want you to proclaim that good news has come and the kingdom is here. But I'm going to empower you to do it. I'm going to give you a gift of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit will help you open up your mouth and help you to tell, proclaim the truth because he knows the truth about you and me. We're scaredy cats. But he empowers scary cats like us to change the world. The Holy Spirit inside of us is the dunamis, the Greek word is. It's the dynamite of God, the dynamite of God, the power of God that allows us to be his witnesses, that allows us to be his storytellers. And it's true of us today. It'll be true of you tomorrow in your offices your homes, your schools, wherever you go. He'll empower us with the gospel. But I don't know about you, but oftentimes I say, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. You see, this power makes Philippians 4.13 true. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that means more than just carry a football. That God says, I can do all, we can do all things we can do all things through the reality of whose we are in Christ Jesus, empowered with the gospel and the Holy Spirit. We can overcome that sin in our life. We can. We're still going to struggle, but we can be his witnesses. We can tell his story. How powerful is the Holy Spirit empowering us? Again, look at that first picture of the church. The 120 of them all sitting here and fitting right here on the floor. And look what God's done. The millions, the billions that call Jesus Lord and Savior i got to make one point. The apostles had a special calling. Um, they, their calling as storytellers was a little bit different than ours. They touched Jesus. They ate with Jesus. He wanted to make sure that these 11, soon to be 12, all were witnesses to what happened. Eyewitnesses. And they had a unique calling to be their, his witnesses and to change the world. And they had unique gifting. The Holy Spirit was given to them as it's given to us, but they had him in different ways. You know, it said when Peter walked by sick people, they got healed. I do not have that power. Do you know that they had some specific power to deal with some demons in their time and and things in their time that were happening that I personally don't have? Now, I know God's power, that same Holy Spirit's alive and well, and and, uh, I don't believe there's more apostles. Those 12 had a unique calling and they had unique powers. But I still believe the Holy Spirit's alive and well and does amazing things here. So we can't read the story and say, oh, Paul did this, therefore I should do this. Peter did that, therefore I should do that. They had a different calling than you and I do, but we're all called. 
Lastly, he's promised that he would return. Jesus didn't just teach them about the kingdom. Jesus also empowered them to advance the kingdom and to be his witnesses. But he also said this. He promised that when he returned, he would bring the kingdom in its fullness. Let's be honest. Isn't there something much better about today than most Sundays? What is it? What's great about this Sunday? Come on, you can say it. You're thinking it. I'm saying it. Football! Football! Football's back. Love it. Is there anything better than watching a good football game? Is there anything better than watching those Gators go down? It's on. Sorry. Half the church hates me. Half the church loves me. There's nothing like watching a football game, and I'll be doing that for the next several months. Uh, So if my sermons start tailing off from here on in, blame football. But can you imagine watching football games and knowing the ending? I mean, wouldn't it be different? Wouldn't it be different if uh, you were able to watch the game and just kind of knew the ending? And no matter what the the swing of of tempo went or or the momentum swings or knowing what's happening throughout the game, and you just knew, and you knew that your team's going to win. And no matter what the scoreboard said, and no matter where they found themselves in the fight, you just knew they're going to win. So, so what are you doing? You're no longer yelling at the TV. You're no longer throwing things at the TV. I mean, you're enjoying the game because guess what? You know the ending, and your team wins. When Jesus says, "I am going to return," I love this phrase. What he's using in the Greek here, in, in uh, Acts chapter one, the apostles were standing there and they were literally gazing to heaven. They couldn't take their eyes off of heaven they're like oh my goodness he's gone he's gone he's not coming back fellas he was here for he's gone it's it it's over there he goes anybody see him i don't see him you see him i don't see him i, I saw him before I, you see i don't see him he's gone <laughs> he's gone what are we gonna do two men dressed in white angels said will you guys quit looking to heaven it literally says that stop gazing up there you got work to do you got a world to change I mean, come on, man. We got some things to do here. Stop it. He's coming back. He's coming back just like he left. I'm telling you what. And when he's coming back, he wins. And when he comes back, he's bringing the kingdom to its fullness. When he's coming back, Syria is going to be great. And Egypt's going to be okay. And Afghanistan's going to be healed. And America's going to be awesome. He's coming back. And he's bringing the kingdom in its fullness with him. And here's the reality. You're on the winning team. I know you seem like 120 scaredy cats that are just told to go change the world. But it's going to happen. It's not because of you. It's not because of your gifting alone. It's because the gospel in you. It's the Holy Spirit, the hope of heaven. It's the promise of the Father. And he says, come and now proclaim good news that Christ is king. And there's one day that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And I know it sounds crazy when I say the hope of Syria and the hope of your life is Jesus, but it's true. And he promised that he'd return. We have hope. Let's prepare the way. Our former youth pastor, one of our former youth pastors, a dear friend of mine named Jamie Hart, he's planted a church in Winter Park. He's preaching right now. He's starting a series in Peter. 
He's preaching at Winter Park Y at a church called Cross Point tonight. They'll preach at another location. It's a part of what's called an Acts 29 church planning movement. Of all church planning movements, they got the best name for sure. Acts 29. Because Acts has 28 chapters. and It's basically saying this reality that you and I, we are the 29th chapter of Acts. The story continues. God's photo album isn't quite full yet. And we are the ones that now have the privilege of being his witnesses here and to the ends of the earth. The question for Christians is not if we are his witnesses. The question is how we are being effective as his witnesses. Christ's kingdom has come. Let us learn to seek that kingdom first. Christ's kingdom has come. Now we bear witness to the fact that Jesus really is king. Christ's kingdom has come and he will return. And we are on the winning team. And when we see him, we will be like him. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that your, your photo album includes me. The family photo album includes us. And you don't have us in the back as those that you're ashamed of. You have us right there in the heart of your story to say these are the ones that are mine. These are the ones that I've called not just to be a face in the picture, but to be the storytellers to this great world. Father, we turn on our TVs and we wonder what in the world do you and your son and your kingdom have to do with the craziness that's going on. And the reality is, is we could look back to those 120 scaredy cats and realize that you have and you are changing the world through your people. And we are called right now to be your witnesses, to proclaim the good news to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Father, I pray that this church would believe in the power of the gospel that can save, that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that would use our very lives to tell your very story for the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, thank you for the promise that we're on the winning team. And we long for you to return because it needs to have a momentum shift. And it looks like we're losing. But we know that one day we win. And that day is today in you. God, in Bolden us to tell your story for your glory. Use our tithes and offerings to advance your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.